Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Well, let me say good morning with everyone else who said good morning, but it is so good uh, to be together this Lenten season to reflect together. Uh, my name is Evan. If I haven't met you, the senior pastor here, welcome and hi to everybody watching online as well. Thanks for engaging with us as we begin this series on Lent. And what we'll be doing this Lenten series is looking at stories throughout the scripture where there are these periods of 40 days or 40 years where God is doing something and people are learning to depend on God. And so that's what we'll be looking at today with perhaps the most famous story that fits this idea, the story of Jesus in the wilderness and the testing and temptation that came Jesus' way. But as we begin, I'd like to begin with us praying together the Lord's Prayer. We'll be looking at this prayer as an accompaniment to this whole series. And so we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. It'll be on the screen. And then I'll do a short prayer of reflection and we'll go from there. So here we go. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you already for what we have seen and heard, how you meet us here. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to sing together, to be led by our fellow members of the church family, including our youth. Thank you for the celebrations that we have to share about the work that you are doing in our midst and in our community. We give you thanks. And Lord, today, as we look to your scripture, may you speak to us. By the power of your spirit, may you meet us and transform us. Lord, start with me. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. On Thursday morning this week, I had to figure out what to wear, and I didn't know what to do. Because we had been asked as a church to help out with two different events happening back to back. The first was the Interfaith Better Together Day at Westchester University. The next was at uh, Westchester Rehab and Health Center, a nursing home that asked us to come and lead a service. And so I knew I would be hanging out with 20-year-olds and then not 20-year-olds back to back. <laughs> and I thought, what, what, what do I wear on a day like today? 
Well, my outfit really didn't matter. It was just this kind of outward expression of an inward kind of insecurity that I was feeling. I've led a lot of services. I led many services just this week. We had Ash Wednesday together the night before. I had never led a service at a nursing home. Lots of things with college students, drug and alcohol rehabs, sure, but not this. I'm so thankful for the help of those who have come before and who came alongside me, those who were able to come and share with us, those who shared advice and things that our church had done in the past as we prepared for this as, as we entered into new territory. For Karen and Ann and Burl and the Benyaskis. But I, I felt a little bit on Thursday like, who am I to do all of this? What if I mess this up? What if I fail or mess up the times or show up late or drop the keyboard? What if this is a train wreck? And how will I ever do all this in the shadow of people like Paul Benyaski, who led a nursing home ministry for a long time with his charm and with his puppets? <laughs> I don't have all the charm that Paul has, and I certainly don't have the puppets. I tell you this story because I think for all of us, we may have a bit of an imposter syndrome from time to time. No, no matter where you are in your career, or your age, or your family, or your education, or your experience, or your street smarts, or your faith. I would imagine you, like me, sometimes still think of yourself as, I don't know, a teenager. <laughs> Who am I? And in those moments, perhaps we hear these voices that say, yeah, not you. They say you're not enough. They deny our value. They say what God says about you, that's not true. Does our faith have anything to help us stand against those voices that try to push us to be less than we are? In the Gospel of Matthew, what will be today, we learn about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it starts with this time of testing. And the test is about who are you really going to be? And this story is not just a story to give us a sort of biography of Jesus. Matthew is also interested in, in giving a resource to God's people to be a text for the church. And I believe this story tells us something about how we withstand these voices that would belittle us and would belittle our call to be the church. I believe this is a story that helps us be people who can pray the prayer we just prayed, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus told his disciples to pray this prayer as one who understood the challenge of temptation. So he encourages us to ask not to be led into it and calls us to pray that we might be delivered from it as one who understands it. But before I get to chapter 4 of Matthew, the focal point of our text, I want to read what happens right before this story. The numbers in our Bibles, the chapters and verses, are, are incredibly helpful guides, uh, but they aren't in the original text, and they sometimes can make us think the text is more split up than it really is. I want us to read those two verses that happen right before this story as we begin. This is Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus had been baptized... 
Beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes to John the Baptist and is baptized. And the text says, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened up to him and God saw, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. So we have this incredible moment. Jesus, at his baptism, emerges and there's this expression of the Trinity. The Spirit descends like a dove and the voice of the Father declares, maybe as Jesus' ears break the surface tension of the water, this is my Son. This is the Beloved. My beloved, whom I am well pleased. If you are the kind of person that loves words of affirmation, I can't think there's much affirmation you could get than something like this. You are mine, beloved, I'm pleased. Talk about an introduction. And it is right after these verses, the very next thing we read that we get to this story of temptation and testing. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? Whenever we step forward into who God is calling us to be, we face challenge. Internal and external voices. When we take seriously this call for justice, racial equality, when we take serious this call of Jesus that says, pray for your enemies, bless for those who curse you, we will hear voices. <laughs> Be generous. It's no surprise to us that there are voices that say, no, you can't. But in this text, we will learn how Jesus deals with those voices, and I pray that it helps us helps us to believe what God says about us. I believe Jesus, fully God and fully human, in his humanness had the same fear that we do. What if I can't pull this off? <laughs> we can relate. So many voices that challenge our call to be who we are made to be, to be God's person. One scholar says this temptation is less about committing some sin, but it's to distract us, to turn us aside from the path of servanthood from which our baptism has commissioned us. God has a costly but wonderfully glorious vocation, calling, purpose for us all. See, the temptation we will share with Christ in this story is the temptation to treat God as less than God and to treat ourselves as less than the Beloved. You'll notice, perhaps, at the end of every service, uh, in our benediction, we say, go in peace and be the church. That's intentional. Uh, in fact, this week, as Donna was preparing the slides, instead of putting benediction, she put go and be the church. We didn't ask her to do that. She just kind of absorbed it. That means it's working. That's great. See, we need a reminder of who we're called to be. There are so many voices that try to make us less than what we are, to pull us away from the call to be like Christ and be the church in this world. Voices that want us to be less than the full human's God, dreams that we would be grow into. We hear these voices 
that diminish us, and Jesus will resist them. So let us look at Matthew 4. We'll start in verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus, right after the baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a fantastic story. Jesus goes into the wilderness. My translation says he's tested. Some say tempted. You could translate it either way. See, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And sometimes we read that and think, wow, that seems weird that the Spirit would say, go and be tested. I'm not sure that the Spirit led Jesus to be tested as much as the Spirit knew that Jesus would be tested and it was in the wilderness where Jesus would be most equipped to confront the test. Any time we spend in the wilderness, times of deep fasting or prayer, these 40 days of Lent where we spend looking inward, we are equipping ourselves for tests that will come. They test us, push us, strengthen our faith. And it seems that this devil, this accuser, this voice, Use this opportunity to tempt. Jesus is in the wilderness. It's been 40 days and obviously he's hungry. The text tells us so. And so the tempter comes, of course. Voices always come when we're vulnerable, tired, hungry, stressed, lonely, right? Voices that want to cheat us from our God-given identity. But Jesus gives us this vision of how to silence the voices. I, I think in this time, the tempter underestimated Christ. <laughs> While famished, this 40 days of prayer and fasting perhaps has equipped Jesus to be as spiritually strong as we can imagine. And so the first test comes. The tempter says, if you are the Son of God, you could translate it since you are the Son of God, because it's not really a question of if Jesus is the Son of God, but how that might play out. If he might manipulate that status, the tempter says, solve your hunger problem. You're hungry, right? Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus could have done it. There's nothing necessarily wrong with creating bread. Jesus will multiply food in the future. His first miracle is taking water and turning it into incredible wine. But it seems like Jesus understands that he has been called to this time of fasting under God's direction and he refuses to cut corners to solve a quick problem. It seems like Jesus knows that what he's called to do is to wait on what God is calling him to do, not to cut it short. He's tempted to pause from his obedience to produce something. Perhaps that's a familiar temptation for us. See, we can replace our dependence on God, our trust in God, with a trust in our own abilities. 
But Jesus says, no, I am more than bread or money or what I can produce or how much I can earn or earn for someone else. Then Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, where Moses was warning the people that as you go into the promised land, things will get easier and you might get comfortable and it'll be easier for you to produce bread, but remember when you couldn't. Remember when it was challenging and God provided manna and fed you. How you learned in that moment it was not about what you can produce, but about what God does. Jesus is tempted to trust his own abilities over what God says about him. It's a recipe for disaster. You don't have to do anything to be valuable. Your worth is not what you produce. Jesus is the Son of God because, because it's who He is. The Father declares the identity. So Jesus withstands this test with the words of Scripture. And the next test comes. This is verse 5. The devil took Him to the holy city and placed Him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The tempter says, If you're the Son of God, why not test it? Why not see how far you can go? Why not demonstrate it so part spectacularly? You'll have no doubters, no haters. And then you can just be done with it all. Why not reveal who you are on your own terms and not in a path that will lead through suffering and humiliation on a cross? We can understand this temptation too. To try to manipulate God so that we get exactly what we want regardless of what we need, another shortcut. Isn't impatience such a powerful temptation? Can I just like, I don't know, be like Jesus without, you know, loving my enemies, taking up the cross. Can we cut that part out? <laughs> Writer and pastor Eugene Peterson described discipleship or following Jesus' long obedience in the same direction. I love that definition. Long obedience is hard. Some would say it's boring. It's not as spectacular as jumping off a roof and watching angels catch you, let me tell you but it moves with Christ at Christ's speed. Jesus again replies with a text from Israel's own journey in the wilderness, quotes Deuteronomy, don't test your God. One writer says it like this, Jesus refuses to test God, not because he doubts God will come through, but because trusting God excludes manipulation. Later, Jesus will throw himself into the abyss at the cross, but it comes when he is confident that it is the call of God. So the devil's frustrated now. So here comes his last big swing. This is verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, all of these I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. The tempter says, 
Why don't you have it all now? I can give you all this glory now, everything, at no cost. It's such an interesting temptation because we know what the Scripture says that one day every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. All these kingdoms are His. And again, the tempter says, take it now. Let me give you all that power right now. We can replace our dependence on God with dependence on power. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen says, what makes power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it is the power that offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than love God. Oh, that's good. It seems easier to be God than love God. Easier to control people than love people. Easier to own life than love life. Jesus asked, do you love me? We ask, can we sit at your right hand or your left hand in the kingdom? This desire for power seeps into all of us, the church, nations. Say, let me have everything and have control of it all. It is the root that leads to things like racial injustice. Let me be in control. It is the root of the demon of Christian nationalism that seeps into our nation. When we, when we try to lift up an idol of our own culture, our own kind of ideals, our own perspective, our own politics, we say, let's worship that and hold on to all the power. Let's be in control. We may read Jesus' temptation and think, well, I'm not very tempted to worship Satan. But oh, we're tempted to seek power and depend on that over God. Jesus, though, is so resilient. He stands against the way of the enemy. I love what writer Anna Case Winters says, the theologian. She says, the temptations Jesus faces will each in turn urge him to take his relationship to God as a position of privilege, to use it to meet his own needs, to receive protection from the vulnerability of his humanity, to gain power over all the kingdoms of the world. Is that what this means to be the Son of God? Or will Jesus understand his calling? in terms of God's redemptive work and take up a role of serving God and God's people towards that end, even if the end was suffering and death for him. Will we understand our calling in terms of God's redemptive work and take up a role in serving God and God's people? I believe we are most equipped for the wilderness when we believe what God says about us. You are beloved. Writer and theologian Walter Brueggemann makes some connections to Jesus and us in this text I find so helpful. He says, we like Jesus are addressed by voices that mean us no good. We like Jesus are out in the wilderness of confusion with few resources. We like Jesus are put there seemingly empty-handed, but in fact are not empty-handed. He had the book of Deuteronomy with him. He had his Bible with him. He had the whole deep resource of faith memories that are old and trusted and reliable. 
he was not out there alone, but in the company of many ancient, faithful, trusted voices who told him who he was. I'm reminded by this story in the Old Testament of Elisha and his servant. They're surrounded by all of these armies. The servant says, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays that the servant's eyes be opened and the servant sees these armies of angels. There's more with us than with them. As we enter in to the season of Lent together, we reflect inwardly, know that we are not alone. We are in the company of Scripture and of Christians who've gone before and are Christians who are right beside us right now in this room. Thanks be to God. One writer says it like this, we're not meant to picture temptation places and spaces as as times where we've been abandoned. To do so is to give in to the evil one's temptation, to distrust and doubt that we too are God's beloved. No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this lie is part of how the devil is so successful in getting us to succumb to our temptations by forgetting that God is present with us. We put God out of our mind and don't consider what we know to be God's good and perfect will just as the Spirit was with Christ to help Him do hard things, the Holy Spirit's with you, helping and preserving you in the midst of hard things with the Spirit. Because of the Spirit, the God with us, we're able to do more than we could imagine, to become different kinds of people, who overcome addictions and false insecurities, who overcome the desire to put our trust in our own powers, abilities, displays. We forget that we are also image bearers of God and God's presence is within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that sustained and accompanied Jesus in the wilderness. The same power is alive in us today. So will we go and be the church? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to worship together. God, I thank you that though the voices we hear can be loud and disorienting, you have shown us that we can stand against them and know that we are not alone. May we remember what you say about us that we are beloved. And may the voices of your people in your scripture throughout history among us remind us of that truth. And may you use each of us to sometimes be that voice for someone else. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.